Live from Columbus, it's the Zone of Truth. This week on the show, Griff and I sample the new flavors of the Alani Seltz on the Beach variety pack, tell scary stories, and it's always spooky and glaring, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the Zone of Truth. And we're back. Oh, yeah, baby. Live. Live. Oh, and barely alive. <laughs> Just barely. Elephant in the room. Tanks on empty. But we got tanks on. Tanks on, though. Yeah, looking ripped in the studio. I you- thought I would give the live viewers uh, a peek of what I wore to Poseidon's bounty. Mm-hmm. And I was wearing a button up with a tank top underneath it. Studios way hotter than it should be studio is really warm yeah, yeah it's it's tough to exist in the studio right now mm-hmm. which means that it's a beautiful day outside <laughs> yeah it means it's just not freezing yeah but griffin what has been going on man we have been recording so much content and i just want to put this into perspective for the listeners out here we're on like a eight or nine day maybe not continuous bender of recording but we did an episode Thursday before last, two episodes of something. No, we recorded so, Zone so of Truth. Here, here's here's, yeah, you the, got here's the list. I got the list. So last Thursday, we did an episode of HLP. Then we did a Zone of Truth that Friday. Then we did three episodes of Bestow Curse that Saturday. Then we played. Then we Eric's played game. an extracurricular game on Sunday. <laughs> then on Thursday, we recorded another Zone of Truth that following Thursday. No, we recorded a record, regular show. Or sorry, regular show. Then we recorded two episodes of Malevolence on Friday. Then on Saturday, we recorded four episodes of HLP. And then today, we're doing Live Zone of Truth. So, can you believe it? The energy in the studio is has so never been, high. Has never been high. I don't know, man. Like, I had fun. I had a blast. I yeah. thought the stuff that we recorded was all really good. I'm playing most of this up for laughs, but we did produce some of what I think is the highest quality content we put out in a while. Some of those episodes yesterday, whoo we the malevolent stuff we did on Friday night was so effing good. This is the most minor thing to say, but Chris introduced one of my favorite, if not favorite NPCs of all time. Yes. So excited. <laughs> And the, this isn't a spoiler because it's already out. Uh, Vet got kissed. Yeah, the stuff we recorded that this happened. past weekend. Yeah, and then you know what? That's all I wanted. And I just sucked up the rest of it because that's what I was going for. <laughs> you, you peaked early in peaked the recording early. session, and uh, then just really phoned it in for the rest of it. Anyway, this is almost a joke. But what have you been up to in your free time, Griffin? So you asked me this last Friday, uh-huh. and I had answers, and I'm being 100% honest here. Having run nine recorded, like GM nine recorded sessions, and been a part of other stuff, mm-hmm. that is all I've been doing this week. Oof. Like, all I've been doing is prepping stuff, editing episodes, so I have not done anything extracurricular this week besides watch One Piece which I'm almost at episode 500 of. Do you want to chime in here? I just wanted to call out also, like, this happens in the middle of our busy week 
when it comes to episode releases. And yeah. so <laughs> it came during the week of Link Legacy release, regular episode release, and Bestow Curse release, which is significant yeah, hours and hours of editing so, yeah. to yes, add on. Nothing. I guess, yeah, that's a good point, too. All that editing and rendering and passing files back and forth. It's been a trip. It's been a trip, yeah. But I do think... I was proactive with it. I will say that. I have every single thing that I need to finish book five in my computer now. Oh, that's great. Like, that's not to say I haven't read book five multiple times and all of that, but I have all my GM prep done for book five. Yeah, I know on a Zone of Truth that's going to be dropping on Monday, you had mentioned that unlike some of the previous books, not all of the NPCs and like enemies There's have been none ported it, yeah. into none of it uh, lab, was so ported good. for book five. Unfortunately, the community around Hero Lab is usually had been really good mm-hmm. about porting the NPC, the relevant stat blocks for adventures that Lone Wolf Development themselves wasn't going to release. So Hero Lab came out after or started doing adventure paths after Carrying Crown was old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they never released Carrying Crown themselves. So the community had has a pack out there that a lot of the NPCs are already built, which is super helpful for prep. And in book five, it's like literally no one. <laughs> like There's like Gotta three stat it. blocks and they're from the bestiary in the back. <laughs> well, I have had a small amount of free time. Hey, and what'd you do? I actually did some fun stuff. So this week, the new Lego Star Wars video game dropped. And I don't know, I've played like 60, 70 minutes of it. But what I've played so far is really great. And all the little like Star Wars and communities that I'm like hooked into online that are around this and are excited for this game as well have been sharing a bunch of stuff from the game that I haven't got to yet, but it's really fun. To me, it really feels like what I've seen and what I've played so far, it's like a love letter to Star Wars fandom and the people like myself that grew up on those Lego Star Wars video games. It feels like them, but it's a much more polished version of them. And there are tons of little tiny Easter eggs that I've seen people posting online. Like one of the things there's just kind of an example. There's a little uh, little screen grab somebody did about a four first order trooper talking about, oh, the Last time that I went out on a mission with Kylo Ren, he jumped into the mouth of a Zillow beast. And that is probably Greek to most people in the entire world. But if you read one very specific comic line, that actually happens. So it's like these fun little Easter eggs to look for and stuff. So it's been really, really fun. And I look forward to spending the rest of my night playing that game. Nice. But a little uh, Twilight update for me. I finished the book Life and Death. which is the gender gender swap swap? one. And I just got to say on this show before I had mentioned that this taught me to enjoy romance books. All my twihards out there don't sleep on life and death. Several people have been on record calling it a shameless cat. They're fucking wrong. wrong? They are wrong. So there's more to it than just being swapped up until about the last 30 pages. I'm like, okay, this is basically shot for shot, the original thing, but I'm still enjoying it. And then Oh my God, Stephanie Meyer just rips the rug out from under me. Oh, wait. So the last 30 pages are what's not identical? Griffin, it's crazy. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but. uh... (laughs) Because the genders are swapped, is there full penetration earlier in the series? (laughs) Um. I don't think it's actually 
dated that no one's gonna fucking read this book okay so <laughs> Bo is the gender swapped Bella yes gets turned into a vampire at the end of life and death so yeah the penetration is happening yeah really. I mean yeah it does happen but like <laughs> I called it Bella doesn't get turned into a vampire until breaking dawn Stephanie Mario went fucking nuts with this and in the end like everyone's telling Bo like they're transition stories and in the epilogue they introduced the werewolves in the original twilight which shouldn't happen until new moon guys don't sleep on it yeah, that's probably why um what, what are they gonna call new moon in the gender swapped one i mean i don't think she's gonna write a second one new moons I don't think she's going to write a second one, but I kind of hope she does. Well, like, if she does, that's what I'm saying. That's why it's taking so long, because mm -hmm. she, changed, she changed the complete con continuity, and so she has to write a different book. I mean, yeah, but I'd be here for it. Yeah. Well, one thing I will say, I didn't get to talk about it last time, but since we're live with the listeners and they can actually see it, one thing I did get to do before we started all of this, like, recording was put together our new mini display set mm -hmm. which is behind us and for me i think the ikea calax is like the best mini display thing just because it's got big square spots to display but like i got in the return of the rune lords shattered star and skulls and shackles display sets from WizKids, and like those just fit into yeah here. The minis are so cool. We've already been using them for stuff that we were recording this past weekend. Yeah. It's very hard, even if you do 3D print stuff, to kind of like get a good model for some of Paizo's monsters. Mm -hmm. And you end up having to either kitbash it or just use a different mini. And I think the WizKids line at least has a couple of fucking weird things yeah. that you wouldn't normally be able to get a mini for. And I mean, you can't discount with the 3D printing. We all love painting minis. But you got to plan for that. I know you had minis that you brought in during this campaign that you had printed and then needed to get painted and then painted and brought them in. But you need to plan that like a month in advance. <laughs> you need to have the free time to paint them. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, just to have remember, it all painted and ready to go, it rocks. Oh, man. I remember in book four when you guys fought the Dark Young of Shubnagrath. Yeah. I remember I like... I was looking at my work calendar those days and I was like, <laughs> I was like, what day can I take a long lunch to paint mm -hmm. this fucking thing? Cause I have no time afterwards and I got to get it done. Yeah. Uh, and I was like up to the wire. I think on Tuesday or Wednesday, I took like two hours <laughs> during work and painted the thing. That's hilarious. Okay. Well, that's been our updates for the past week. We got to start getting into stuff that we want to do today. And this one, I don't know how I feel about it. Let's talk. So what we're going to be doing is reviewing this new variety pack of seltzers that I saw in the store this past week. This is uh, from Alani. They've produced one pack before that we rated and reviewed very highly. But this new pack is called the Alani Celts on the Beach variety pack. I'm going to read some copy from the internet, kind of explain what these things are, and then we'll get into it. So, Celts on the Beach will sweep you away to a tiki bar in paradise, no matter the time of year. Well, interesting they brought it up because they debuted at the beginning of April. Tiny umbrellas, not included, but highly recommended. And they also say, life's a beach. Looking for a fresh change of taste? Enter our new collection of island-inspired spike seltzers. Just 100 calories and about one gram of sugar in each can. You can keep it breezy and enjoy the flavors of your favorite cocktails guilt-free. So going into this, Griffin, what are your thoughts on these cocktail-flavored seltzers? Because we've had some similar ones in the past. Yeah, in general, I don't think they're usually done well. 
Absolutely agree. Uh, especially when they attempt to mimic the booze flavor of a cocktail. I really don't like that. I've had that a couple times. I remember there was a whole margarita pack from someone like Truly, maybe. And they really? like they kind of inserted like the hint of that like cheap tequila flavor into mm-hmm. all of them. And I really disliked that. I think you and I are both on record saying the the Bud Light lime margarita is like one of the worst flavors we've ever had. It potentially is my least favorite seltzer of all time. It's so foul. So if they can pull it off, I bet Mm -hmm. they'll be amazing. But I don't have very high hopes given that I I don't think I've ever really had a good cocktail themed seltzer. We are 100% in lockstep here. I think if anybody can do it, based off of their non-alcoholic stuff, as well as their alcoholic stuff that they've done. Alani can do it, but it's that cheap liquor flavor that gets me every time we try these. You're right, the Truly Margarita Pack, the Bud Light did this. I think there's others that I'm probably missing, but seltzer companies try to emulate these cocktails and it just doesn't work. So. I'm interested to give this a try. We do have four flavors here today. We have lime margarita, we have raspberry mojito, strawberry daiquiri, and pina colada. I think there's some potential on some of those just to be fine by themselves. There have been plenty of successful pina colada seltzers, notably the bang one's really good, Mm -hmm. but we'll see, man. We will see. I have the highest hopes for the raspberry mojito. Mm -hmm. I think White Claw has a raspberry that I don't like as much. I'd really like a raspberry seltzer that, because I really like raspberry as a flavor. I'd really like a raspberry seltzer that I can enjoy. So if that one's good, that might be the standout favorite for me. I have very low hopes for the lime margarita. It'll be a win in my book if they don't make it taste like tequila. Yeah, same here. I think pina colada for me is a safe bet. They should be able to do that just fine. Lime margarita, my expectations are rock bottom. And both the strawberry daiquiri as well as the raspberry mojito, I think there's a lot of potential for these to be good, but a lot of potential for these to be pretty bad as well. I think they're going to go one way or the other. I honestly don't think we're going to be in the middle of the road on this one. This is either going to go real south (laughs) or pretty good. I think so, too. We could be proven wrong, but... And speaking of rating, we've got a unique rating scale today because this is Celts on the Beach. I don't know if you figured that out, Griffin, but that's... Sex on the Beach? Yeah, yeah, okay. I thought, what other things can you find on the beach? Uh, I thought number one was going to be different based on the sex on the beach reference. Nope. (laughs) Nope, not that. (laughs) One is a dead fish. Don't want to find that on the beach. That's always really gross. These condoms are pretty gross, too, on the beach. (laughs) Two. Pesky seagull. You don't like seeing them on the beach. Nope. But not as bad as a dead fish. Three middle of the road. Big hole. Is this back to the sex on the beach anyway? No, Griffin. In the sand? Get out of the gutter. In the sand? Yeah, in the sand. You ever see like- There's no gutters on the beach. Like this is a classic little kid at the beach thing to do is just dig a big Big ass hole. hole. And when you see those, you're like, damn. That's a big hole. Cool. Yeah. When you don't see them soon enough, you go- Ow, I just broke my ankle. <laughs> yes, I mean, this this could go one That's why it's ways. in the middle. That's why it's, it's right in the middle. Because it could be a really cool big hole or you might break your ankle in it. Four out of five, cool shell. You know, we find a cool shell. That's cool. And then uh, five out of five, attractive lifeguard. Which takes us right back to sex on the beach. There we go. 
let's go ahead and get into it. Do you want to rip off a band-aid and have the one that we probably expect to be worse first? <sighs> yeah, I guess. Each one of these does have a little bit of a slogan on there. Griff, you want to introduce us to the slogan on the lime margarita? Yeah, the slogan for the lime margarita spike seltzer is citrus got real. Griffin, I don't know if you pick up on that, but that's a, it's an allusion to the... the shit comic. just got real. I was going to say, this just got real, but sure. Citrus, shit yep. just... Yep. This just, yeah. All right, let's, let's get a... Smells very limey. I'll also say, if we're talking sex on the beach, these have like a weird pink color can, so... Yeah, uh, pink sand beaches are a thing. Okay. What do you think? I like that. I'm blown away because I do too. I like that. I think that's honestly a cool shell. 100% that's also mine. <laughs> that's, that's really good. Cool shell. That's this, one of the best lime seltzers I've ever had. I would probably need to drink more of that, but that might be the best lime seltzer that I've ever had. It's quite good. Haley's looking back great. like she wants to try it. Yeah. And it doesn't have the fake booze flavor. It does is exactly I what I said would be a win. I'm actually not terribly sure why they think it's margarita. Like, I don't know yeah, that I got I, like, I, a I ton don't, of margarita. I don't it's get the like, margarita. It's, it's a little sweeter lime. than lime instead of sour, I think, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very sweet. It's very good. Wow. I mean, just a strong opening salvo. And thank God, because this pack was $21. Okay, well, let's hope we get our money. Very worth. high for a seltzer pack. Next up down the line is the Pina Colada. I'll go and crack into this one. We have a slogan on the can that I actually think is quite clever. Tropic like it's hot. Wow, they got us again. I like that. Okay. I'm going to throw an attractive lifeguard at this. That's yeah, a fucking that's, fine That's fucking self. fire. That's actually, I think this ties the bang one in every way. And that's one of my favorite seltzers. <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's an attractive lifeguard. That's great. That's incredible. Good pineapple flavor, good coconut yeah, in there. Yeah, the fact that oh. you get the, the fact that it's not just like a straight shot of coconut is actually kind of refreshing. I think both of these are kind of refreshing to drink. 100%. I don't think I have a single bad thing to say about that one. That's fucking amazing. Okay. The next one we have is the raspberry mojito. I'll be very surprised if I get any mint flavor in this. Yep. So far, I'm so incredibly upset that these are not gluten-free because oh, you guys no. are saying no, these they're not. positively. Yeah, it's a malt <sighs> beverage with natural flavors. That's a shame because, yeah, these are tight. Yeah, so I'm cracking into this. It's Return of the Raz is the slogan on this one. What's that a reference to? I'm not sure. Maybe they meant to say Return of the R-Pats? No, they didn't. Potentially. No, we don't know that. Only two letters away. That is a raspberry mojito. What are we doing here? That is a raspberry mojito. <laughs> what are we doing here? These are so fucking good. <laughs> like, the mint is in front like of the, of the raspberry on that taste. It's, it literally tastes like muddled mint leaves are in that. Yes, it 100% does. I'm almost speechless. This is, compared to the last two packs that we've tried on this show, it's night and day. I'm I'm blown away. Yeah. Again, this is an attractive lifeguard. That is... Yeah, D-cup titties on this. That, Incredible. Th that is <laughs> the closest you could possibly get to a raspberry mojito without it being a raspberry mojito made by a bartender. 
I don't know what to say. Like, this is just, this is an absolute treat. After all this fucking recording and this stress and having no free time and still having to do the live show at the end. I feel of this, like I'm at the like, beach. I'm, I feel like I'm getting a, a line of, I don't know, just like straight into the vein of energy and enjoyment for life again. Now, this next one, Strawberry Daiquiri. I mean, let's just keep it going here. Tiki, do you love me? I have no idea what that's a reference to. I don't either. Like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I'm not uh, sure I get chat, it. Chat, let me know if you understand. Tiki, do you love me? But I'm going to crack this open and I can't wait. Per by Gainfully Employed Tart, he said it's a Drake song. Oh, what about Return of the Raz? Does anybody know what that is? All right, well, I'm going to try this strawberry daiquiri. Okay. Again, very good. The pack doesn't miss. Yeah. I like that worse than these two, mm-hmm. but it's still very strong. Like, I could drink 12 of those. I could drink 12 of the margarita one. Yeah, you know what? Honestly, the margarita one and this one, this one, I thought for a moment that I wanted to give this a cool shell, mm-hmm. a four out of five. But when I look at the universe of lime margarita and lime seltzers as well as the universe of strawberry seltzers which isn't good you know what you can call me out on my bullshit if you want i'm grading these both on a curve i'm giving strawberry daiquiri a five and i'm bumping my lime margarita up to a five and maybe not be a five out of five and it, it when it, like, compared to the compared other to everything ones, yeah. but with what we're working with here these are fucking good yeah the only thing i even have to say and it's it's really a matter of personal taste I think these are very uncarbonated for a seltzer. Yeah, they're, that's they're, fair. Which, you know, there's a tiny hint of carbonation, but I think that almost helps all of these flavors. Like, you wouldn't expect a pina colada to be fizzy. I think if the flavors were worse, I'd want it to be have a harsher carbonation to take my mind off of the bad flavor. Yeah. But the flavors shine on their own. You don't need to hide them. I'm going fives across the board. Attractive lifeguards, four of them around me. We're having a big hug and we're having a great time on the beach. I think the and pa- we're the- staying celibate because <laughs> I don't believe in sex before marriage. I think the pack certainly deserves a a five out of five. Yeah, this is great. I honestly don't think we've reviewed a pack on here that's as good as this. No, that, that even 100% like, that even really touches this. I'm kind of blown away. These are some of the best seltzers I've ever had. Fucking call the show. We're done. Like <laughs> we're done. The, we're out of here. The content we're gonna be running <laughs> through in the next half hour. Yeah. To drink. Like it's not gonna get better than tasting these seltzers. Like this is great. Yeah. How do you want to break this up? I don't even know. I know. It's like it's real Sophie's choice here. I know you were a little softer on the strawberry daiquiri than I was, so I'll go ahead and take that. Okay. I know you're a big mojito yeah, guy. I really like the mojito. But if you're doing that, I'm taking pina colada. That's, That's fine. cool. That's fine. I don't think anyone's losing in this no, situation. These are all not. really good. Oh, we're all winners today. Delightful. Oh, God. That's such a shame you can't try these, Haley. I'm pretty upset about it because these seltzers have made you guys so pleased and so happy that you are just angry and even using really aggressively negative words to say how much you like them. That's what the chat is also talking about. You're like <laughs> so happy you're mad. Yeah, we've gone complete 360. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> So yeah, I am actually pissed because I cannot drink that. Yeah. Well, wow. Let's move it on here, though. This is our next segment in the show. This one's called It's Always Spooky in Galarian. 
In this segment, Griff and I will both take turns presenting hooks for horror-themed adventures based in the world we love to play in. It's truly always spooky and galarian. So we're going to be doing a little bit of shooting the shit. We're going to be talking about horror tropes and genres and stuff, making little adventures for folks to play. Do you want to go first? or, or Yeah, I don't mind. Yeah. I can go first. Okay. Um, so I think in passing, the first time we talked about doing this, we had referenced Numeria, but I don't think we went into too much detail about it. So I wanted to take Numeria this time. And I think there are a lot of tropes that work well in Numeria because it has this fusion of technology with the reign of stars that had happened and basically the pieces of this advanced spaceship kind of falling all over the country. The country has kind of developed off of that, but I think one of the tropes that I really like is the alien from space that comes down and starts impacting a community. You saw it in like Slither. One thing I wanted to do here is they mentioned that the pieces of this spaceship cause like radiation and mutations to those nearby. And there's a Stephen King book. I've gone on record saying this is like one of his worst rated ones, but one of my favorites, the Tommyknockers. Mm-hmm. And the story of that is that a spaceship falls and the radiation from it causes people to start to mutate. That was the one that I believe when we were doing homework for The Color Out of Space that he was inspired by yeah. that old H.P. Uh, mm-hmm. Lovecraft story. And so the story revolves around a community and how the proximity to this spaceship starts impacting people disproportionately Mm -hmm. and they start acting different. They start mutating. And there's one character that has a metal plate in his head that isn't impacted by the radiation that's going on from this. And so he sees the community devolve. And I think that would be a really cool trope to play in maybe because the reign of stars is way in the past of Numeria. Maybe you play it as like one of the pieces is recently unearthed mm-hmm. by, you know, some sort of seismic activity or something. And then it starts impacting a small community of people. One other thing that I think would be a good trope to use here is Numeria is like very desolate aside from some cities that have formed with this technology using this technology Mm -hmm. and it's known for being kind of like techno barbarian land yes Uh, but barbarians here are some of the groups are very savage i think you could use that mutation trope instead of doing the inbreeding trope like hills have eyes had to make these like mutant savage people up in the hills of this desolate area yeah kind of do what hills have eyes And then there's the Gearsmen, which Mm -hmm. are robots, and they're kind of controlled by the Technic League, right? Mm -hmm. But (laughs) the Technic League, I guess this is somewhat spoilers, uh, eventually falls. What happens to those robots when the controlling body loses control of them? This is a classic sci-fi horror Mm -hmm. situation that you're describing, and yeah, perfect. There's already an established in with the canon that Paizo has written there to base an adventure around. Right. I wouldn't say you could create like a Skynet future thing, mm-hmm. but you could certainly have like a Rise of the Machines in, oh, yeah. in Numeria. And I think the best part about it is that everything in the world is not so high tech like it is in Starfinder, where something like this would almost be common. Like SROs are character options in Starfinder. Yep. Here, you have low technology versus high technology, and it almost feels ready for the modern sci-fi horror 
that a lot of the other fantasy areas, you know, you can't really do that. Mm -hmm. What I really like about the Numerian setting is that like techno barbarian aspect of it. And I think you're kind of getting there where you have these tribes of warriors who maybe are not necessarily that book smart. They've had a hard scrabble live and then they come into technology that they can't even comprehend. I mean, this is like Starfinder. You have characters and civilizations that build and make this technology. These guys just have it thrust upon them. And so now you have like a barbarian walking around with a giant laser sword that he doesn't understand if it will like run out of charges or anything. And he's drinking nasty like spaceship fluid. Yeah, like engine coolant to get high and charge into battle and stuff like they really do have some very, very interesting relationships between people and technology in Numeria because there's just a very large lack of understanding. And that can play into all of these adventures that you're describing. Yeah, the one thing I would love for Numeria, and I think it's the perfect setting for it, even though it's not horror, is Mad Max. I would yeah. love them to do Mad Max on Galarian in, in Numeria because mm-hmm. you have the technology for powered vehicles. That would allow a lot more of the drive skill and that kind of stuff to be useful. But uh, one final, and this is kind of an adjacent horror trope, I think you can do a lot with gore when you have machines that the protagonists don't understand and they're interacting with it. So I think something like, like, I know, like, gore punk is kind of a a sub genre of horror, and that's Mm -hmm. kind of like going really far into the gore, like leaning into it. I think you can do that in a setting where like you have chainsaw barbarians. You, like you can't really do gore unless you have like, you know, a, a worshiper of Zonkathon like flaying people or something. You can't mm-hmm. overdo gore in fantasy without like these death machines. And I feel like you could certainly do that in Numeria. But with all of these falling ships and radiation and black fluid and, and that kind of stuff, I think it's also perfect for the um I, I think only a couple of movies have done this, but the like the superhero horror where like something oh, something yeah. happens oh, and yeah. it like it grants like the superpowers to a couple people and uh you know you get like Superman like abilities, but the person's a psychopath. What was the one with There's the, the one kid. with the kid. It was it started with a B, it was like Brightburn or Bra- something. Uh, Maybe I'm <sighs> I think I'm it close. is. It is. It, that's very close to what it is. I can't remember the exact name. I really liked that movie, yeah. and I'd forgotten about it until you just yeah. mentioned that again. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a really good setting to have that happen. Mm-hmm. But I think that would be really cool if you had an antagonist like that, and then the heroes are able to kind of do the the other end of the superhero thing, where they like utilize technology to give themselves superpowers, so they become kind of like Iron Man or Lex Luthor type characters, but like for good. Let's do it. That's great. Yeah, that's what I had for Numeria. I think you could definitely do horror there pretty easily. 100%. All right. I'm going to take this in a little bit of a different direction for my half of this. So what I didn't mention earlier when we were talking about some of the fun stuff that we did this weekend, this past week, I saw a scary movie. And knowing that we were going to do this segment, I had been thinking to myself before I watched this movie that... I wanted to draw parallels between a recent scary movie that I've seen and try and see if I can't cobble together a story using that 
and the world of Galarian to make something really special. I re- recently rewatched the remakes of the It movie, and so I was like, okay, maybe is there something there? I'd have to really think about that. But then on Wednesday, I watched Scream 5, which is just titled Scream 2022. Griffin, I, you know, I, I've said on this show before that I'm a big fan of Scream movies. I haven't had seen this new one yet. I enjoyed Scream 5 more than any other sequel to the original yet. I thought it was so good. And it's gotten really good critical reviews as well. I'm not on an island on this thing. I thought it was fabulous because what it does as a horror movie is it takes an outsider look at the genres and tropes of the day, just like the original looked at like the original horror slasher genre. It was kind of riffing off of all of those 80s slashers, your Friday the 13th, your uh, Slumber Party Massacre stuff. This one is looking at a new trend in horror and looking at toxic fandom, maybe even outside of horror as well, which I'll get into in a moment, but in a way that I thought was really interesting and made for a very, very well done scary movie. So what they're deconstructing in this movie is the premise of the requel, which is actually a word that I was not familiar with until they actually said it in the movie. And then I was like, oh, I know exactly what that is. So a requel is a sequel and a remake kind of in the same thing, but also kind of neither. So to explain this concept, I can give some examples. Think of like Halloween or Halloween Kills, the new editions of the Halloween movies. They canonically are sequels to the original Halloween, but they have very little barrier for entry. You can just watch them by themselves, having never seen the original and be just fine. This also happened with the new Netflix Chainsaw Massacre movie, which I saw very bad. Um, (laughs) But then there are some also non-horror examples of this as well. So think about like Jurassic World. That's a movie that you could go into never having seen Jurassic Park 1, 2, or 3. But if you did, it helps build the canon of the story. Mad Max Fury Road, very similar. A lot of people say the same about The Force Awakens. So what I wanted to do is take that meta perspective look at common present day horror and apply it here. So I want to make a requel called Harrowstone. This is going to be a 2022 requel of the haunting of Harrowstone, book one of the Carrion Crown adventure path. A shout out, this was written by Michael Cortez. You guys can listen to it on our main feed. If you're listening to this, statistically, you also have listened to that as well. So. I'd hope. Hey, you know what they say about podcasting? Every episode is somebody's first episode. Why you would start with Zone of Truth 84, I don't know, but you really did wait through some serious bullshit in the first uh, 30 minutes to get to here, so. All right. So let's talk about this story that I wanted to create here. Our new heroes are contacted by Zokar, who's still operating his tavern and acting as the quote unquote grizzled old veteran from the originals. So think Harrison Ford in The Force Awakens, Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic World or Jamie Lee Curtis in the new Halloween movies, the old school tie in for all of the old fans, the grizzled old vets. Ravengrow is once again being terrorized by a series of killings. The kicker, all of the killings are in the styles of the original five serial killer ghosts banished by the PCs in the haunting of Harrowstone 11 years ago. 
So, what I wanted to do was to take the rules of the requel and apply them to this new module. So, play by the rules, something that has to happen in these new requels for them to kind of succeed. The PCs are going to be tasked by Zokar to stop the killings if possible, so what they're going to need to do is research the history of the town to learn who might be the next targets. So for example, if they do some research and learn about the Piper of Ilmarsh, they may be able to anticipate that the next killing is going to be some kids, right? That are going to be targeted by like a Sturge attack. Or perhaps they determine that a local priest might become a target of a Father Charlatan-style killing. So you're doing your homework of the old stuff, but it's still all brand new for you because you're solving this stuff in real time. The PCs will have the opportunity to catch up with old NPCs that survived Carrying Crown. For those of you who had played through the original and want to see what happened, you know, a decade down in the future. Or maybe there are new NPCs that are descendants of the original or like reboots NPCs that are new version that fill the same roles as old NPCs. Yeah, that like Kendra comes about. back to town yeah. to see her old, her old house. Absolutely. And these PCs can provide a bunch of insights. They may have existed in your old playthrough. It could be fun. A little uh, Easter eggs for the old folks. Anyway, in my conception of this adventure, the clues are going to lead back to the original Harrowstone prison itself where a spirit-worshipping cult has taken root, and they're led by the descendant of the original warden of the prison, whose bloodline is tainted by the spirits of the ghost. This is something that I feel like you see a lot in requels, where you have a bad guy who has their own agenda, but there's a tie to something from the beginning. The reason that they're doing the bad stuff, or they are the antagonist, is because they have some sort of tie to the past. So basically this cult is trying to recreate the murderers to bring back the original five serial killers imprisoned at Harrowstone. How this works, I don't know. It's fucking fantasy settings, magic, figure it out. Magic. And magic. Magic. And so finally, we're talking requel, sequel, potential. So if players liked Harrowstone, they have the opportunity to continue following in the footsteps. There may be future sequels to the requel. So your Halloween kills to your Halloween, your last Jedi to the Force Awakens, your increasingly terrible Jurassic World sequels to Jurassic World. So you could continue to have ties to other books of Carrie and Crown in similar or different styles if you enjoyed your playthrough of 2022's Harrowstone. I love the idea of this for changing up the level of adventures. Mm -hmm. So like you could easily make this a level 10 Harrowstone adventure, 100%. like a mid-level Harrowstone adventure where like everything is more intense. Mm -hmm. And by the same virtue, you could make like something like book two of Rise of the Rune Lords, a, like a intro adventure. If you scale that. it back and requel it, I think honestly, Return of the Rune Lords was kind of in this style, was kind of requel. Absolutely. It was great. It brought back old PCs. It, you know, it referenced other events and kind of put a different angle on them as you played through it. So I think Paizo has already kind of like mm -hmm. dabbled in this, which is kind of cool. But I love the idea for GMs that like Paizo adventures, but like to rewrite them. Yep. This is a great way to reference something your party has already, like if your party has played through an adventure and they loved it, it's a great way to like 
okay, now we're going to do a module-sized adventure and, like, bring new PCs, but, like, here's all these links to something you already did. Yeah, it's an interesting concept because with a little bit of exposition, you can jump into it completely fresh. Or if, like you said, you scale it up or whatever, you could have a similar same part, you know, like the same old folks play in a new version of their old game. Obviously, I've talked about some different franchises here. I've referenced some that have very varying degrees of success or, I don't know, quality with their requels. But Scream 5 showed me it's possible. I think it's definitely doable. And I don't know. I loved Haunting of Harrowstone. Maybe one of the things that I had thought about, I didn't put on my notes here, but one of our complaints or criticisms of the original book was how ghost focused it was. Mm -hmm. And so if Harrowstone, the 2022 requel is like level one or level two, like the original Harrowstone was, then the enemies don't have to be ghosts. The enemies could be this descendant who is a serial killer who is just trying to emulate and like, do the old stuff, but or like bring way. these ghosts back, or you know, release the, like maybe he's trying to release the ghosts. Absolutely, I love it too. This is just as a podcaster thing, probably, mm-hmm. but I love the idea of this for because I know like some shows do live shows. Like I love the idea of something like this for a live show. I know That's like a great idea. I know like the Adventure Zone. You, you may not be familiar with it yeah. at all, but like they do like offshoot adventures of the main campaign of their like first campaign for their live shows even though that first campaign has been done for years now, yeah. but it would be cool to reference the campaign. That's not a live show with something that's live. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's pretty much all the thoughts that I had on the subject. So I think we do need to get to questions. All right, Haley, what you got? Oh shoot. Yeah. That's my job. I got this. Oh, Steve, this is back to the Lego star Wars. Yeah, sure. Eric has asked, have you tried to kill the kids? No, I haven't. It gets you a super jump, apparently. So what? I, yeah, what I've seen is that people are able to exploit a glitch where you knock young child Anakin Skywalker up into the air and you can keep attacking him and you don't drop back down to the ground. So if you keep just wailing on this kid, you can cross really big gaps and stuff. <laughs> it's very funny. I actually have not gotten far enough to encounter young Anakin yet in episode one. I think you have the option to start at episode one, four, or seven to do like your trilogies. I'm going straight one to nine. I haven't gotten to Anakin yet. Hell, it may be patched by the time I get there, but that's very funny. That reminds me (laughs) of in Elder Scrolls three Morrowind. You Mm -hmm. could, uh, (laughs) they had like potions of flying, which they didn't have in, you know, they, they subsequently stopped doing. But you could drink one of those and, like, be at the end of the game in the first 15 minutes. That's amazing. I will say another note about LEGO Star Wars The Skywalker Saga is I have, obviously, again, I haven't played a lot. Playing as Jar Jar is such a joy. Really? Yes. They give him the goofiest run animation. (laughs) So he's the little LEGO version of Jar Jar. And yeah. You know, listeners might not be able to hear this, but the people at home can see, like, the way he runs is just full arms, just like this. Oh, no. Oh, wow, straight up and down. Yeah, straight up and down. It's so cute and so funny. I have not stopped giggling while watching him do that. It's such a joy. All right. Do we have another question, Haley? We have tons of questions. I just, 
I wanted to know if you were killing kids. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, thought, I thought they. I thought they pulled a. Uh, what, what was the. <laughs> Like Modern Warfare 2 or something. Oh, where God. You, like, where you, like, shoot up the, the airport. I thought, I, thought they, I thought they made a scene no like Russian. that. I thought they made a yeah. scene like that with uh, the younglings. They did <laughs> A. Oh, oh. You just slaughter the younglings. I mean, that's, like, been memed enough that I wouldn't be surprised if that's in the game. But again, it's a child's game, so maybe not. Oh, I have a question. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get to questions, and it's pertinent to Always Spooky and Galarian. Okay. Are there good horror stories to be told in the Star Wars universe? Yeah, yeah. So it's similar to Starfinder, right? It's like that science it's fantasy. I've actually got a couple examples. One of them is very, very recent. And it's because of Lego Star Wars. So I would direct people to the Legends books, Death Troopers and Red Harvest. They are zombie books in Star Wars that when they came out were canon. They were part of the oh, canon at the time. And I really thoroughly enjoyed them. In fact, the Death Troopers hardcover book, if you took the dust jacket off of it and unfurled the dust jacket, there is a really creepy poster on the inside of it of a stormtrooper helmet that's hanging from a meat hook that is jammed into the eye socket. And there's blood running out of the eye socket. And then there's like, grisly tentacles like hanging down from the helmet so like clearly there's a head in there mm -hmm. and i have that unfurled pinned up on my wall in my bedroom and i've had it on the wall of my bedroom for like 15 years like as long as this book has come out because i think it's so creepy disturbing and awesomely star wars i will also say that this morning i found out about a little legends story about a protocol droid that actually is in Star Wars Episode One, but there was the short story is Legends. It's no longer official canon called Nobot. That is this protocol droid that can't speak anymore. It's it's like vocabulator was busted, mm -hmm. but the only thing that it can play is this like recording of a pregnant woman getting massacred. And what? people think that like the droid killed the girl and but they can't prove it. Like they just hear the recording of her yeah, dying and he's walking around and there's stories that like people keep trying to kill this droid or get rid of it. And he just keeps coming back. So it's, it's a really it's like a haunted droid. Yeah. And this droid is an Easter egg in the Lego star Wars game that came out. That's how I found out about it. And Nobot is one of my new favorite things. I'm a big Nobot fan now. It's creepy. If you ever run us in the Fantasy Flight one, we, we got to do like a zombie invasion. I'd love to. <laughs> That'd be so fun. I'd love to. Do you want another question? Yes, please. Yeah. All right. So Sarnu actually asked, what's your favorite horror movies uh, and your favorite genre of horror movie? Good question. I think this is actually a question that we answered on the very first Zone of Truth, but that was like Whoa, two and a half wow. years ago. Yeah, we did. We did so, talk about that on Zone of Truth. I, I'd be very interested to see what your list looks like right now, Griffin, because I think mine is similar and different. I think I've been on record as like, I like horror, but mm -hmm. I really think the horror comedy genre is an underserved genre. And I really oh, like when movies do that genre well. And you've seen in like a lot of movies I've made you watch, like Tucker and Dale versus Evil and that kind of stuff. That's really my vibe. I love things like what we do in the shadows, which mm -hmm. is a is a comedy poke at the vampire horror genre. Yeah. So I think I would love to see more movies in that vein. 
mainly because I really love when comedic actors are put in a horror situation. I think it's very different than when you just get a, you know, you get a dramatic actor in a in a horror movie. Spiral, Chris Rock in Spiral. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Golden performance. Yeah, and I think it's very different. And I think it's something that we do as a show. We try and bring like comedy to these kind of dark horror mm-hmm. themes and and moments. And I really like to see movies that do that. So for me, obviously Tucker and Dale is up there for like true horror. I I always come back to. Um, Hereditary and Midsummer. Now that I've now that I've seen those, I mean they're just so good. Both the, on my list. The tension is so good in those movies. I I wish I was as into Saw as you are because I think that translates really well to TTRPGs. I think there's a lot of the saw traps that you can bring to like the BBEG when he sets up his base. Yeah. But I just haven't, I, I've seen, I think I've seen five of them. I haven't seen all of them. Sure. But I, I really like, I, I think Saw 2 is the standout Saw movie for me. I, I really enjoyed that movie. And then I'm a big sucker for zombie stuff. I always have been. I, you guys like didn't really enjoy Reanimator. I love Reanimator. I really like the entire George Romero zombie series, even, mm-hmm. even the later ones that get a little bit weird. I think... You know, you've seen Train to Busan. That's one of Fantastic. the standouts in in that genre have to you me. Seen, have you seen the sequel? Peninsula? I haven't seen the sequel. I need to see this. That's what that's been on my list from as soon as it came out, and I haven't gotten around to it. But I know we we got to watch that. Yeah, we, we should, should, watch, we should that. watch that. That's kind of the gist for me. I think horror comedy is mm-hmm. is my favorite subgenre of horror. Wow, that's a little bit of a surprise to me. I'm not completely shocked. I don't think that's going to be most people's, but that's a really good answer. Obviously, my top horror franchise with a bullet is Saw. If you wanted to give it a shot, Saw 1 and 2 probably are the best. I would say compared to what you've got out there today, they were very controversial at the time, but they're probably tame compared to some of the stuff that people would see. So I think if you have never checked out Saw and are like, oh, it's got this reputation, Go back and watch them because you've probably seen worse shit since then. They've definitely seen worse shit than Saw 1. Yeah. The two of those movies are fantastic. I would also say, relevant to our uh, requel discussion, Spiral stands out as a legitimately standalone good horror movie. But if you rather whether or not you're a fan of the Saw movies. Griffin, I think having seen a few and kind of wishing that you like Saw a little bit more, I would try Spiral out. It actually shares a lot of similarities with seven or even bits and pieces of the new Batman movie. Cause like they pulled a little bit of inspiration from saw and seven as well. Hereditary Midsummer, Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of it follows for the unique premise and the incredible 80s score in that same vein. I think the most scared I've ever been by a horror movie is the strangers. And I'd like to give a big shout out to the long, long, long awaited sequel to The Strangers, The Strangers Pray at Night. They really did change up the score a lot, whereas like the second one is very 80 focused. The pool scene. Oh my God, it's such a good scene. Yeah, the cinematography on that is fucking fantastic. Incredible pool scene scene scored to Total Eclipse of the Heart Mm -hmm. and really, really well shot the way that they play with like the visuals and the music together. Once the camera drops below the water, it sounds like you're listening to that song underwater. Very, very cool. I love, love, love 
everything that Jordan Peele's done so far, his two yep. movies. I think I'm in the minority here in saying that I would give the edge between Get Out and Us to Us. I love Us. And ooh, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just a, a very huge horror buff, so it's really difficult for me to condense down to a single list. That's probably as much as I want to say without spending the next 30 minutes talking about horror movies. Honestly, we should probably just have a zone of truth dedicated to horror movies. Do you have a favorite subgenre, though? Ooh, because that was kind of that was the actual question. Got a spiral in there. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say I don't know if I know how to put into words this subgenre, but there have been a lot of contemporary horror movies lately that all have had a point. Again, I'm talking about the Jordan Peele horror movies, Spiral, in a sense, and a couple others. I think the Duke does a really good job of this, even though I wasn't quite as as much of a fan of the Duke as some other ones, but that really are not necessarily about horror. They're using horror to provide social commentary or commentary on mental illness or struggles that people are having and it's not so much of a focus on the gore and the violence and the killings as it is on a very real thing that's happening in the background or all of that that I mentioned before the gore the killings are an allegory for something I've really been enjoying watching horror movies that mean something and so that's kind of a a non-answer I think because it's not like technically a genre but if I walk away from a horror movie feeling a little bit better informed or a little smarter than I did when I started, those are the ones that I really enjoy. I hate to put it in a box, but I think I think you like indie horror. Sure. Yeah, I think that's I, th- fine. I think 90% of the ones that, that do that social commentary so far have been like, I mean, I think that's no, very, no offense very to Jordan fair. Peele, but at least Get Out was indie horror before, yeah. you know before its success and then us. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, honestly, stuff like even Hereditary, like the A24 stuff is kind of indie. And I think most of them make make a point like that. I'll say uh, Brooks and myself saw Hereditary in theaters, like before people caught on that Ari Oster was going to be like a phenomenal horror director. I saw that trailer and I was like, I want to fucking watch that movie. That's going to be good. That's going to be quality. I've been meaning to see... um, and it's really for the monster design. I'm a sucker for that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love a good looking creature feature. David Cronenberg's coming out with yeah. a new movie yeah. starring Kristen Stewart. It feels very Numeria, like you were talking about earlier. It's sci-fi horror. It's going to be really nasty. I heard there's going to be like, there have been like test screenings where people are like, yeah, people are going to pass out and vomit during this movie. Here for it. <laughs> like I said, we should probably just devote a segment of an upcoming Zone of Truth to horror movies. Do we got another question, Haley? Oh, we have a large list. I don't know if you see the screen. Holy shit. That's good. <laughs> Way more than we usually do. Do we have a couple that we could like bang through quick? This one sounds fun, so I'm going to go for it. Corey has asked, we've seen Freddy versus Jason, but who wins in a Mortal Kombat style tournament of Freddy, Jason, Chucky, Pinhead, Michael, Ghostface, the urban legend killer, and the man with the hook from I Know What You Did Last Summer and Jigsaw? Um, if you need an even number, add Leprechaun too. Yeah, uh, Pinhead wins. <laughs> no contest it's, for me. Pinhead is an actual demon. It's funny that you say that, Griffin. I was thinking the exact same thing. There's a couple on there that I think are phenomenal horror movie villains. Jigsaw is a geriatric old man yeah, on Jigsaw life support. Jigsaw gets eliminated immediately. Uh, the Ghostface Killer in Scream 
gets the shit kicked out of him in every movie and actually dies in every movie. Like, it's not the same killer. He gets killed at the end of every yeah. single one. Yeah, I mean, some of them are, like, kind of, in a sense, immortal. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just think Pinhead is, like... I think Pinhead without the without the ability to like the ability of the other players involved to like recall him to hell is unstoppable. I think without giving this question a little bit more thought and actually putting together a well-constructed answer, the finale is Pinhead versus Freddy Krueger on some sort of demiplane and Pinhead takes it. Yeah, it's like Pinhead is from hell and Freddy Krueger can plane hop between the dimension of dreams and Mm -hmm. the material plane. So you got two like extra planar beings, basically. All right, what's next? By Gainfully Employed Tart ask if you guys were to become a shitty slasher movie killer what would be your highly inconvenient murder weapon mine would be a dump truck <laughs> I would, you, you like you know I, I'd get the i get the i get the victim on the ropes and like they'd wake up like all chained up and they'd hear boop and just like I'd unload two tons of gravel on them how many how many like horror movie trailers do you see today that are like the repeating sound of over like flashes from the show of, like a scared face a dark alley like you know the type of trailer that I'm talking about where it's like a siren but like, like every flash is the yes yes there's always one repeating sound or like a record that's skipping that plays the same line over and over again but instead your trailer is the beeping the beeping of a dump truck reversing Mm. God, am, could I possibly beat that? I don't <laughs> Sorry, think I so. Immediately thought of that. No, that's really, really good. Oh boy, maybe I would actually kill people with a book, like Mitsube. They call him the paper cut killer. I have spent over 194 hours of my life role playing as Mitsube. Well, no, some of that was neutral interlude, but a lot. But call it 175. At the very minimum, role-playing as Matsume, a man that kills people with a book, I think you're going to get a tight 90-minute movie of detectives trying to figure out, everyone's getting killed by a book. I wonder if it's the dude that's talked about killing people with a book. As long as there's two, <laughs> as long as there's two detectives on the case, and eventually in the movie they go, looks like we're on the same page. Absolutely. Next question, please. <laughs> Sir Newt has two questions. Mm-hmm. Are they Each, about the 1920s? Hang on. No. Each one, though, is directed at a different one of you. Okay. So the first one will go to Griff. If you had to produce a sitcom involving any three kinds of monsters, what would the premise be and which monsters would you choose? Ooh, that's tough. I would love to do something with the name is escaping me right now. Oh, a Vargoyle, a Doolahan, and maybe the Doolahan's horse. And it's a sitcom. It's a sitcom about a guy that's all head and a guy that's all body. Oh man, how are they ever gonna get along? Why can't we just get along? And then, like, eventually, eventually, they get comfortable enough with each other where the Vargoyle like plops on the dual hands body and they go to the movies together. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, they look like a, one guy. Yeah, that's really good. That's phenomenal. I'd watch that. <laughs> all right. One's living, the other's dead. How are they going to make this work? <laughs> One's an artist. The other one can't see because he doesn't have a head. And a horse. And a horse. And Bojack. 
oh man and if it's a sitcom you know they're going to be in like a new york city apartment and that horse is going to be clopping around they're going to have an irate neighbor under them <laughs> perfect what are they doing up there <laughs> good God. yeah we got to figure it out all right well steve do you want yours sure if saw became a sith lord what would his name be Okay, so I you could go one of two ways with this because a lot of Sith Lords have like Darth or Lord as their prefix and then have some sort of cool alien sounding name following that. Or some of them do the like super basic Darth Maul. Maul is like destroying Darth Sidious, Darth whatever. Like they are just like words that have generally negative connotations to them. So if Saw were a Sith Lord, ooh, what's the, you know what? I think I got it. Darth Smilodon. Cause the Smilodon is the saber tooth tiger. And so like, that's kind of a allusion to the fact that he's a tiger and it's just a cool sounding word. If you don't know your vocabulary, you just think that's a cool sounding word. But if you do, you're like, oh, that's cliche in a fun way. And that's what a lot of the Sith Lord names are like. They're cliche in a fun way to how people actually behave. All right. Awesome. Eric has asked, what is your favorite take on how zombies are done in a setting? He's watching The Expanse right now, and the, the space zombies feel a bit overplayed as a plot device. Ooh. I would say I liked the zombies in The Expanse, but not in comparison to the rest of the show. It's just not where seasons three, four, and five go, That I, if I remember correctly. Like, they're very heavily focused in one and two. And I'm like, okay, this is a very cool plot point by itself. But then I do agree with Eric. It's like, in the grand scheme of things, they feel a hair out of place. If the show was five seasons of cyber zombies, hell yeah, let's do it. But it's not. It's not what the show is about. So I do agree. It's kind of weird. I think I like actual viral living zombies. Yeah. So I like the 28 Days Later zombies. I think I agree like with the rage virus. I think that's a, I think that's a really good trope. I was going to say, though, I <laughs> I really enjoyed Metallica put out a they their uh, song All Nightmare Long is like nine minutes long. And the music video for that is a zombie movie short. Oh, how cool. And it's like it's about how zombies are formed and used like to in a war between the United States and Russia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but, but it's, it's one of those things where like the virus itself just brings like any flesh back to life. I kind of like that because like they, they like injected like a, it was a bioweapon and they yeah. like inject a steak with it and it starts to like twitch. Like it's the muscle and in is in essence alive. And then it like adapts to like, okay, well I'm no longer part of, you know, this part of a cow. I have to use all of this as like my body now. So then it starts to like be able to move oh, and also like adapts. Yeah, I think the correct answer is the rage virus, the zombies that are quote unquote still alive, because that also does lead to some fun story stuff like the people that are in love with somebody that has the rage virus or it's a family member or what have you, because like they are still alive. They are still them. But what can you do? Yeah, um, it lends a lot more credence to the like cure yeah, part of the, absolutely. the part of zombie stories where it's like you make them more sympathetic. That but they're also missing scared. his jaw and both his arms. Like I don't think a cure is going to do jack shit for him. No, I don't care too terribly much for something like a Walking Dead zombie. Just like okay, it's just a corpse that's rambling around. I'll give a I'll give a shout out to the flood in Halo. 
similar to kind of what you're describing in that Metallica thing, Griffin. They're this sci-fi alien parasite that just will infect and rise up any flesh that it touches. And I think it's a cool sci-fi take on it. If you look at some of like the flood character models, you'll have these like bastardizations of the different types of allies and enemies that you fight in that series. So the human flood in Halo 1 and Halo 2 is like a marionette looking body that's covered in this yellow pus and his head's hanging down, but where his head had detached from his body, there are like these like tendril stalks coming out that are sensing the air and stuff and similar things with your elites and your other stuff. I don't know that a lot of people think of the flood when you talk about zombie movies or zombies. Uh, well, whatever, the, I but mean, I think the flood, it's a good job. The flood's like The Last of Us, right? It's like a fungal. It, it almost seems like a fungal zombie. It, it yeah. is. It's very similar. It's like a hive mind kind of thing, but it does like I said, marionette people and yeah. creatures around like a virus or uh, you know what I'm saying. I think it's zombie adjacent enough where you could lump it in. And I don't think enough people do. All right. Um, I know we're getting kind of close to where we usually wrap these up. Haley, do we got a good question to wrap it up in a final jab? We definitely have a good question, or at least I think it's a good one. By Gainfully Employed Tart has asked, what do you think the new It monster will be that'll be in a bunch of movies? They've done zombies and vampires. I feel like we're due for a new wave. Oh, the new, like, that's kind of tough. Because we're just coming off of a resurgence of the ghost. Like, all the paranormal activity movies and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff were kind of a renaissance for the ghost movie. Um, I'm done with Possession. I I never really got into it. I never was an exorcist kid. I think as far as I want to go with Possession is Hereditary. I love Hereditary. I don't usually like those types of movies. I'm done with it. I don't need to see another zombie flick unless it's a really good take on it. I'm going to get fucking crucified for this, but I'm also kind of... You really got to wow me with a vampire thing right now. I got my steady, my steady ones, my Twilights, yeah. my True Bloods. I don't need them. I don't really need more right now. For me, I think it's the cryptids. Give me some, yeah. give me some like weird shit that I can't explain. That's really interesting. Give me a, give me a siren head or something. I don't know. Something I, I'm not expecting. Give me something I'm not expecting. That's a terrible answer, but I just want something new. For me, it's going to be skin changer Wendigo. I think there's going to be a couple mm. movies about that yeah. shit with all the with all the hype that stuff's gotten on social media. I can't imagine there won't be at least like two movies about that coming out. I feel like it's constant now that I see something about, you know, skinwalkers on yeah. social media all of the time lately. That's Which a, is such that's a cool and creepy like concept and like you can do a lot with it and it almost merges the like found film woods movie with the what's the movie where the creature turns into everybody else it's it's in the it follows it follows does it that it follows does that but also uh the one where they're in the arctic research base the thing the thing yeah yeah um it, you you can it merges those two genres with, with the skin changer and i think that's kind of interesting to play around with because there's an extra level of audience misdirect with whatever it is you know i feel like Every horror movie has that, like, survived protagonist, and it's very easy to pull the, like, switch there where, like, okay, that's the skin changer. (laughs) I truly enjoy a horror movie where you have those, like, types of conversations between two people that know each other really well, and, like, 
the one person is saying things that are a little off or they're saying them in a in a cadence that's off or like they're staring at somebody and one of their eyes is drooping down or mm-hmm. something is just wrong and that's yeah. right in there oh boy some really good scares i'll stick to my original answer but like yeah the, the skin changer cryptid stuff golden i'm here for it yeah. i'd love that i feel like mothman gets presented in a relatively positive light mm-hmm. i'd love to see a like mothman murders like video where like I think I'd actually watch that. Like, I'm not a big horror movie person, but horror movie better. Like, to actually make the Mothman instead of like a portent of, or even even. Do you think they could make a Mothman scary though? I think you could. Do you think so? I mean, they made the fly freaky as shit. Yeah, they made the fly freaky as shit. Mothman wouldn't be too far off, but like, you could bridge into Final Destination territory with what the Mothman does. Oh. Now that's interesting. Because the Mothman's supposed to be a portent of catastrophe. Like mm-hmm. people said they saw the Mothman at like the bridge collapse in, in uh, Point Pleasant or whatever. I think a low budget Mothman could destroy the potential for Mothman ever being a good horror villain. But if like a good director does it indie style right, you could really get some good Mothman stuff. Yep. And I think with that, we're probably time for the last jab. What do you, you know what? Actually, I think the last jab has to wait until we do some housekeeping. So like I've mentioned on a couple previous Zones of Truth, you can catch me on the uh, Southern Tomfoolery Twitch channel for Twin Heists. This is their second season of STF and Friends. I think when this actually releases, this will be after the initial date of April 18th, but you should be able to catch up with that on the Southern Tomfoolery YouTube channel gonna be gm by heath it's gonna be starring emily and john from that show as well as tony from dice versa you can also catch me on episode three of the brian identity from pot against the machine very very fun show check it out griff myself and i think we're settling in on the final roster of folks but there are going to be some hlp friends and hlp adjacent folks who are going to be at PisoCon 2022 Still no announcement yet about an official meetup or anything, but it is going to happen. Even if you're just in the area and don't have tickets to PaisoCon, because I know a lot of people don't, come out and hang out with us. We'll crack open some Rainier beers like Charlie Swan before us and have a good time. And I think that pretty much wraps it up as far as housekeeping goes. So, Griffin, am I missing anything? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Okay. Haley. What do you got for us? So there was a last jab submitted, but it was directed at Chris. And obviously he's not here. And it's a great joke. I'll have to tell you guys later. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. So then just, I think Sir New added in. Yeah. Steve housekeeping question mark. That's new. That was his last job. What are you talking about? I have no idea. He's got the cleanest apartment of anything. I know. He's like the most crazy type of cleaning guy. (laughs) Steve housekeeping? When isn't he? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I guess maybe that's (laughs) when isn't he? (laughs) All right. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in. I had a blast today, even though this is after a huge marathon week and a half of us recording. I appreciate you all listening live, and I appreciate you all listening after the fact. So... For those of you who are watching and listening along right now, we are going to be in the Drunken Discordly channel in about five minutes or so to have a little after party. We'll hang out with you, be able to chat. As for the rest of you, we will see you next time. Griffin, what you got for us? Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.